Okay, Brentwood Church, last week we started this series called Own It. Primarily, we're talking to the Christians who call Brentwood Church home. So if you're a guest, or you would say you're not, maybe you're not a Christian yet. Like you, you're, you're on your way, but you're just not yet. You still have some big questions. Uh, this is one of those series where you get to kind of sit back and observe the family meeting. Uh, hopefully, though, you will love the vision and the values of the church so much that you want to stick around and become an owner as well. Uh, So last week, we wrestled with one simple idea, and here it is. Generosity is a spiritual issue, not an economic issue. Generosity is a spiritual issue, not an economic issue. And the reason that truth is so important is because it determines whose money we really think the money that we have, whose it is. But also, it determines where we think that money belongs. So if we own the money in our minds at least, and generosity is just an economic issue, like it, whether I have enough or whether I think I have enough or, or not, or that person has more than me, then we will always have a reason not to give and not to be generous. It's like highways and bridges. You know, we all want to jump on the highway and we all want to drive across the bridge at 75 miles an hour on our way to Disney World. We just want someone else to own the taxes to pay for it, right? Why? And here, here, here's what I mean. Everyone feels like everyone else, it's just our human nature, it, everyone feels like everyone else should, should be generous and take ownership of those things, the things that we all benefit from, except for us. And why is that? Because we all have our exemption story, don't we? I mean, we, we fight with it and we don't like it, but we have our exemption story, you know, I'm to this and I'm to that. Besides, they are all that and they're all this. So they should, and you get it. And, and there's that sort of that entitlement culture uh, that we fight with, especially in, in U.S. American culture. But really, really, it's not an economic issue at all. And that's what we saw last week. It's a spiritual issue. Generosity has nothing to do with how much money we have or don't have. It has to do with our hearts and where our hearts are postured. And so last week, I defined reality for us as a church. And I went public with a stat and just said, hey, let's, let's raise the generosity culture in this church. Because right now, 21% of the Christians at Brentwood fund 100% of the mission. 21% of the Christians at Brentwood fund 100% of the mission. Man, and I am so grateful for that 21%. You know who you are. You get it. You get all this. You could teach it better than me. But I believe that we can call more Christians in this church who say, you know what? I love what God is doing. I love how the gospel is, is, is going to new and deeper levels in my life and my family. I, I, I want to call and inspire a lot of you who see transformation and breakthrough happening in your life to become an owner of the financial health and the generosity of this church. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going back to the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the second letter that he wrote to them. Uh, recently, I gave both of my sons, have two sons, one who's 10, one who's 12. I gave both of them the, very, the, the exact same book. And I just said, hey, here's your book. Here's your book. Uh, you guys read this. It's a book on um, what it means to be a man and how to act like a man. Uh, so I promised them that I would give them $20 if they finished the book. 
They had to, you know, they had to do some underlining in it and they had to take some notes at the end of each chapter. But if they finished reading it by the end of October, I would give them 20 bucks. So a few days ago, uh, one of my sons, he came to me and he asked, he says, Hey dad, how can I earn some money around here? And he's like, he just, he really wanted to start earning some money. And I said, well, why don't you go read the book that I gave you and I'll give you the 20 bucks I promised. And he, he kind of thinks about it for a second. He says, you know, I just don't feel like reading. And he says, what else can I do? I said, well, okay. Um, you can go clean the garage and I'll give you five bucks. And, and he was as startled as you might have been when I said that by the contrast and reward. Reading a book paid him four times more than a manual labor chore. Now, here's why. Here's why. Because as a father, I can go clean the garage myself. I can do that. But what I can't do is develop a habit of learning wisdom for my son. I I can't make him do that. All I can do is create opportunities and give him tools to do that and promise a reward in return. I want to give him more than just chores. I want to give him more than just a work ethic. All those are, those are important. I also want to see his mind get transformed with knowledge and wisdom. So what? So yeah, I give him chores and there's reward with it, but I give him tools and I give him opportunity to transform his thinking and his mind and I give greater reward for that. So you get the point. The same thing is true of our Heavenly Father when He deals with us. You know, we all get that we need to go to work in order to get a paycheck. That, that makes total sense for us. And most Christians would admit, you know, God helps us get that job and He helps us get to that job. And we thank Him for that. But God has a bigger agenda for our lives than just going to work and getting paid. He wants us to gain more than just the $5 payoff. God desires the transformation of our minds, the transformation of our heart. He desires the transformation of our hearts and minds to become like him. And there are several gifts and several tools that he offers in our transformation process. Of course, the one that, that we all have if we are followers of Jesus Christ, and that's the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, there's the Bible. And then, of course, there is the church. Those are tools and those are opportunities, environments God has given us to transform. But one of the simplest and sometimes hardest transformation gift that God has given his church is giving itself. That's right. Giving itself is an environment and it's a tool that God uses to transform us. And here's what he does. He links that transformational gift, the gift of giving, the gift of generosity. He links it with reward. He promises us certain outcomes, certain reward when we give and are generous the way he is generous to us and to the world that he so loves. Now, let me be honest. Whenever church leaders start connecting church giving 
to God's blessing, it gets really weird really quick for a lot of people. And and I'll admit, I 100% believe this to be true, that, that there is a link between me being generous and me giving to God's priorities and the things he puts in my path and reward. I, I believe that. Not, 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 not always material. In fact, most of the time it's not. It's, it's just the intangibles of life. I believe that 100, and, and my life is a, is a proof of this. But it's still uncomfortable for me to teach people that truth, that God blesses people who are generous like he is generous. And here's why. Because I am a recovering people pleaser, and I know that there are some Puritan givers here today who would argue and who will email me. And here's what I mean by Puritan givers. Puritan givers are people who believe that church giving, it's a burden. And it should produce pain and guilt. It should do that. And how dare any preacher talk about joy and reward? You know, that's just irresponsible. Or worse, that's heretical. And listen, I get that. Because I used to live there too. But I hope today, I hope today that you will see a truth. If that's where you are and you would, I hope today that you'll just see a crystal clear truth that helps open your mind and open your heart to a new way of seeing this. But also, there's another part of me that doesn't want, I don't want to be, I don't want to come across the wrong way or with the wrong idea because there's another group of people here who no matter how hard I try, you will still believe that today's message is about prosperity, health and wealth giving. And you will walk away believing that God owes you a hookup for your handout. You know, here you go, God. Here's my handout. Now give me my hookup. And that conclusion, okay, you, that, that conclusion it will either make you feel icky or it'll make you feel entitled. So there's, there's hesitancy on my part when we start talking about this and we start preaching about this. Then, then there are some of you who would just say, I'm a non-giver. And there is a recovering people pleaser in me that doesn't want to offend you. And I don't want to make you want to leave the church because, because I'm challenging you. And I'm challenging the way you live. And I'm challenging the way you give. And I'm showing you in scripture a different way. Nevertheless, I'm going to take a risk today. And I'm going to teach you something that I believe will bring greater joy and greater hope and greater influence in your life and in our church. And I'm going to trust you with the Holy Spirit to be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. A little bit more context. The Apostle Paul continues to encourage the Corinthian church to stick to their commitment to collect an offering for the Jerusalem church. If you didn't hear that last week, go back and listen. Chapter 8, which we looked at last week, he reminds them that generosity is a spiritual issue and not an economic issue. But in chapter 9, which we're looking at today, he starts to describe the outcome of both the amount of giving 
as well as the attitude of giving. Let me say that again. The amount of giving and the attitude of giving. Starts to describe what happens when both of those things are in place. So let's jump in. We're going to read a lot here. Hang with me. We're going to read uh, about uh, five or six verses uh, straight, straight through. But I, I want to highlight some things along the way. So here we go. Verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements uh, for the generous gift you had promised. So he's sending some guys ahead of him uh, to, to, to make sure uh, that, 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 they, you know, that they stick with the plan. Next. Then, then it will be ready as a generous gift. So he uses that word again, generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So Paul is talking about the attitude of giving, not just the amount, but the attitude of giving. Verse 7, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. What is Paul doing? He is quoting the Old Testament Proverbs. Who else used the Old Testament Proverbs? Jesus Use the Old Testament Proverbs. So Paul is just quoting the Old Testament. Remember, he's an expert in the law and the Old Testament. So he knows this stuff. He can pull this out of that. Jesus was also the same. And so he says, hey, remember, remember this principle uh, that's in the ancient text. He goes on. Next. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly. Attitude's a big deal. Or under compulsion, there it is again, for God loves a cheerful giver. Attitude is, is very important, the way we give. Next, he says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So there's, a, there's something that's linked to the attitude in the amount of giving. Next, as it is written. So he's going to quote the Old Testament again. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And he goes on, verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for, the, for food will supply and increase your store and seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Paul is linking attitude and amount of giving with reward. We'll get back to that in just a second. And then finally, verse 11, this is what it says. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I want to come back to that verse in just a second. Here, here's the deal. There's a lot of useful truth in these verses. Just in that one paragraph, Paul quotes the Old Testament. He quotes Jesus. And he highlights some really big themes about the way that we should give. And here, here's the first one. I, I, want, I want us to capture this today, just like he wanted the Corinthian church to capture it. And here it is. God wants joy to drive our giving. Attitude is so important. The way that we give, the heart, the posture of our heart. He used words like generous and joyful, not sparing, 
not reluctant or not under obligation. So, so let's speak into the posture of these Christians and what their heart was like. So they're from Corinth. This was a Greek church. So they didn't grow up as Jews under the law, like the Jerusalem church. So the law was never for them. It was, that was for the Jews. So to hear um, the gospel for the first time, when they heard about Jesus Christ and who he is and, and what he did for them, his sacrifice, and to believe what the cross actually accomplished in their life, that, that because of Jesus Christ, God's one and only son dying on a cross and resurrecting from the dead, it made them holy, it made them righteous, it made them clean. I mean, it blew their mind. It motivated them to give. So what? So that others could hear the good news. And so Paul is capturing this as he's bragging on the Macedonian church, as he's talking about the Corinthian church, the gospel was changing their lives. It was transforming. Remember, that's what God is most interested in. The gospel is what changed them and their understanding and their attitude of generosity. They were joyful. And that's what Paul is communicating. God wants joy to drive our giving. Brentwood Church, listen. God wants us to continually look at our life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to be blown away with the gift that he gave us through Jesus Christ, his one and only son. Now, think through this. Think through this. God didn't hold out on you and me, did he? I mean, he gave the ultimate gift. He gave to us when we were hopeless, when we were disobedient, when we were rebellious, when we were distant, when we were dirty, when we were greedy, when we were selfish, when we wanted nothing to do with him. That gift, that treasure, Jesus Christ, and the realization of it, man, it should motivate our giving and our generosity. Why? So that others will experience the same thing. Why would we not want the local church? The, I mean, the one thing that God has chosen, a family, a family of spirit-filled, gospel-driven people, he has chosen that to be his sending agent, to be his messenger to the world. Why would we not just look at everything that God has given us and say, you better believe that I'm going to make sure that I give to your priorities, God, the way you've given to me. Mm. God's generosity drives and influences our generosity. When we bring that all the way back to the practicality of managing and giving our money to God's priorities. Man, our heart should be overjoyed to give to the transformation that is happening in this church. And if you give to this church, if you give to the, to the church and you're not linking that to the gospel, let me re-inspire you today to begin that. 
That every time you, you know, whether you automate your giving or whether you give in service, that, that every time you just go, wow, I get to do this. God has given me the ultimate gift. And he said, I want you to be generous like I'm generous. And I want you to start with my church. God's generosity drives and influences our generosity. But then Paul does something. He makes a controversial claim. I want to go back to verse 11. Look look, look what he says. You will be enriched. You will be enriched in every way. That makes the Puritan giver feel really weird. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Are you saying there's there's some kind of reward for generosity? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So so what's going on here? What what is he saying? Throughout these verses, and and he kind of culminates it in verse 11, he uses these kinds of words. And I want you to capture this. Abundant provision, he says. Increased seed and supply. And there in verse 11, enriched in every way. He links these things with generosity. And so we see the second theme that Paul is getting at. What is it? God wants to channel more generosity through people who are ready for more. I want to say that again. God wants to channel generosity through people who are ready for more. Now, he wants us all to be generous. But what does he say? He says, look, some of you are just going to get this and you're going to trust me at different levels. And some of you are just, you you know, you're going to grow a little bit slower in this than other people. But the people who, you know, are just growing faster in this, I'm just going to trust them and channel more generosity through them. It means that God wants to keep channeling generosity through his people who want to be more generous. Man. What does that mean? Now, let me give you an example of this. My son Chase came home from soccer practice recently, and he started to vocalize uh, to his, his mother and I that he wanted to play the goalie position more for his team. That's, that's what he wants to do. He wants to be a goalie. Uh, that's why he's playing soccer. And so he was, at that time, currently... Goalie number two, which means that he kind of got in for a few minutes for the game. Uh, If he got in, it was the second half and so on. So the coach had, you know, he had challenged the players with some things. And he wanted to see his players, you know, get better in some areas. And and so Chase comes home with that, and he's you know the coach was challenging us with this, and and I want to be this, and I want to be, I want to play goalie more. So I said to him, I said, listen. You need to trust that your coach has placed you right where he thinks your skill level is. Okay, so, you know, basically don't feel entitled just because you're on the team. And then I said this, I said, but if you want more opportunity, then why don't you go ask your coach what he needs to see from you? I said, I'll go with you, but you you need to ask him. So uh, he said, okay. So the next practice, you know, I went up to the coach and, I said, hey, coach, you know, hey, thank you so much for, you know, you know, what you're doing, yada, yada, yada. I said, Chase wants to ask you something, though. 
And you could tell he was kind of like, okay, what's this all about? So Chase looks up and he, he says to his coach, coach, he says, what do you need to see in me? And he goes on to explain, what do you need to see in me to, to go to this level, for me to get to this level, for me to accomplish these goals? And, and the coach immediately just begins to list these things. I need to see this from you. I need to see this from you. I need to see this from you. In order for you to grow and in order for you to go to the next level. And Chase looks up at him and he says, okay, I'll take that to heart and you know, I'll do what I need to do. Flash forward two months later to this past weekend. Okay, Cool, cool outcome to the story. Chase was the starting goalie for his team in a tournament, in a weekend tournament, and was unofficially titled the MVP of more than one game during the tournament. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Okay, I'm a little bit proud. I'm a little bit proud as a parent. And I'm going to tell you why I'm proud. Not, not just because he was the starting goalie, not just because he you know, was kind of the unofficial MVP, but because he asked his coach, how can I improve? How can you trust me with more opportunity? Now, that makes total sense to every single one of us when we're talking about sports or when we're talking about business or when we're talking about whatever. I mean, so, but when we start talking about our Heavenly Father, we understand that we're all on the team. We're His church. We're His people. We're spirit-filled, gospel-driven people, one body in Christ. We've been gifted, all those things. But we think, we think that we should all be trusted with the same amount of opportunity. Even if we're not willing to adjust our hearts or our habits to match the next level. Mm, it just got real up in here. Here's the bottom line. God wants to channel more generosity through people who are ready for more, for people who are ready for more. The principle has nothing to do with the amount of love that God has for you and me. Or you, you, you do not have to earn God's love and salvation through giving more and being more generous to the church or anybody for that matter. In fact, let me say this, and, and I, I promise this is not the recovering people pleaser in me, okay? This is just full disclosure. Full disclosure, you do not have to give anything to anybody and God will still love you and he will still lead you to the kingdom of heaven, both now and for all of eternity through Jesus Christ. Like there's still, still so many things that God wants to show you. However, however, this is big, you will be missing a big part of the blessing and the influence that he wants you to experience right now through the practice and through the growth of being generous. Taking on his heart of generosity the way that he is generous to us. Give abundantly and radically to his gospel family that is changing the world. Like when we, when we get in on that and we just say, God, 
what do you need from me? What do you need to see from me so that I can go to the next level in this? Well, hey, trust me in this. Trust me in this. Take a step here. I want to grow you up in this. So this is the principle. God wants to channel more generosity through people who are ready for more. You're still on the team. You're still on the team, but if you want if you want to go to that next level, if you want God to trust you with different levels of opportunity and generosity, you got to be willing to start somewhere and then grow to another level. It's just about stewardship and trust. And this goes all the way back to Jesus' parable of the talent. There was a master. He had three servants. He gave each of them according to what? According to their capacity, according to their ability. Well, that's not fair. Well, God, God's not fair, but God is just, okay? He's just. And I would much rather have a just God who can sort out all my ideas of fairness, which never really add up. I would much rather have a just God than one that thinks fairly like I do. So, Please don't walk out of here today saying, oh, well, that's why fill in the blank with whatever thing that you lacked or whatever difficult situation that you were facing. Well, that's why that's why that was happening. And the pastor said, if it, it's because I haven't been giving at all or I haven't been giving enough. No. You know, it's not about if you start giving then you'll experience a breakthrough financially or relationally or even spiritually. It's it's not about that. That's not the principle here. It's about transformation. God wants to transform you whether you get this giving generosity principle or not. So God is holding, he's, he's not holding out a breakthrough. He's not holding out freedom for your life until you start giving to the church. No. God is not a heavenly slot machine. You don't get a hookup for a handout. It's just simply this. If we want to be trusted with more generosity opportunities, then we've got to trust God when he asks us to be more generous. Let me say that again. If we want to be trusted with more generosity opportunities, put me in, coach. We've got to trust God when he asks us to be more generous. So here it is again. God wants joy to drive our giving. Attitude is a big deal. It's a big deal to God. And next, God wants to channel more generosity through people who are ready for more. Amount matters. It does. Not necessarily how much, but the principle and the percentage of what we're willing to trust God with. Roman Church, here's what I want to say to you today. I want people to look at your life, regardless of your economic status, and say, man, that, that person so generous because God has been so generous to them. And I can tell that in their attitude and I can tell that in their life. 
Can you imagine that? So let's get practical. This is where, you know, we just say, okay, what does this mean? What do we do today? And then how does this build on the rest of our life? Right now, our host teams is passing out a card. Here's what the card says. It's called a 90-day tithing challenge. Now, let me say this about tithing real quick, because church people get really confused about tithing. Tithing is a biblical principle of percentage giving. This is taught throughout the Bible. It was taught taught in Genesis before the Mosaic Covenant. It was taught and practiced during the Mosaic Law and the Mosaic Covenant. The principle still applies now after the Mosaic Covenant. When we percentage give to God's priorities, God rewards that in a unique and specific way. Okay, so that's tithing. Okay, it's just that simple. So this is taught throughout the Bible, but it is not a law in the church. Remember, we're not, we are not saved by, by religious law. We're not saved by going, okay, well, let me give this and, and that, that way I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in favor with God. No, it's just a way to prioritize generosity and ownership in this gospel-driven community. For some of you, man, this is a scary thing because you've never, been, you've never really prioritized this in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to help you take a step. I want to help you just take a, more than a baby step, but just, just a step. So first, though, let me talk to you guys who were part of that 21% that I, that I mentioned earlier. Because you can say this better than I can. If you are a Christian, okay, and, and you're part of that 21%, you understand this and you get this. So when we start talking about a 90-day tithe challenge, you might go, that seems kind of weird. That seems kind of ridiculous. But listen, you, you're, you're a little bit further along in this. And, and you may not remember how big of a deal and how big of a stretch it was for you. So why don't you, during this time, take a card anyway and use it as a cue to pray for the people, the brothers and sisters in this church that you know or don't know and just say, hey, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that they get what I've been understanding for years. Not in a judgmental spirit, not in just, just in a, man, I, I love what God does in my life because I prioritize this and I want to see, I want to see this for my friend. I want to see this for the people in my church. If you're a Christian, though, and you are not a giver to this church, you're just, you just say, I'm a non-giver. I want to help you take this step by trying it for 90 days. 90 days. 90 days, that's it. And here's the deal. And we're going we're gonna to help you do this. Just, just, just fill the card out, and you can, you can take it to our response station during our singing time. Just drop it in that bucket and say, you know what? Sign me up. I, I want to try this for 90 days. And, and that'll just be a public declaration for you. That'll be a big step for you. And here's what I want to say to you. As God promised Israel in the Old Testament, test him in this pursuit and see, see what he'll do in and through your life over the next 90 days. 
Here's the deal. If at the end of 90 days, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that's in you, okay? If the Holy Spirit says to you, don't give another dime to your church. And if you do, you are being disobedient to the Spirit's leadership in your life. Then you just simply stop. That simple. The end of 90 days, if the Holy Spirit says, you don't, don't do this anymore, then stop. Be obedient to it. However, if the Holy Spirit shows you how this practice has helped you take new steps in your faith and generosity and the practice of giving and prioritizing and managing the money that God has given you, it's helped change some things in the way you consume, in the way you save, in the way you give. It's even changed the, a little bit of the joy that you take in the gospel itself. Like, wow, I get to do this. Then continue to do it. In fact, continue to do it for the rest of your life. And just see what happens. Now, as we get ready to respond, I want to talk to just a small group of you today. If you are a giver here today and you need, honestly, just to confess that your heart has not been one of joy and giving. It's been more resentment or entitlement instead of gratitude and, and joy. If that's you, and this is a great opportunity just to confess that to God and just say, God, would you produce a new focus in my heart in giving and generosity, not just to the church, but into anybody, God. Would you do that in my heart, God? Just just ask him. Just be just lean into that tension a little bit today and see what God will do. Let's stand, let's pray, let's respond. Father, right now I just ask that you take over in a powerful way this gathering. That you move in the hearts of your people here to go to the next level of generosity, specifically in your gospel-driven community, the church. Do miraculous things in people's lives as they take on this challenge, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.